ho, 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 and a merry triple Xmas. Hope you're having a Jess Franco holiday. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to all my friends and fans here, all you listeners of the Franco Observer podcast. I wish you the season's greetings and a very happy new year ahead. This is a special bonus episode. Uh, Usually, you know, they always drop on Wednesdays, but uh, I always try to... Back in the beginning, I used to do more, but um, I figured uh, for special occasions like Jess's birthday or Lena's birthday or, uh, you know, Christmas, New Year, something like that, I'll throw an extra one in here and there. So, yeah, this is a bonus episode. Still carrying on in the numerology, the numeral order of uh, what we've been going through. So this is episode 120, film 121. Uh, Night has a thousand desires. And uh, this is, let's get some stuff here. Oh yeah, before we start to, my co-host on this podcast, guest reviewer on this is Kali from Los Angeles and uh, we recorded the review already and now I'm recording this intro and uh, having in time for the holiday gift so here we go night has a thousand desires and uh, this is out of Spain and uh, 1983 and that is the UK US blu-ray title and, of course, all information is taken from Flowers of Perversion, Volume 2, The Delirious Cinema of Jesus Franco by Stephen Thrower. Okay, original theatrical title in Country of Origin, Mir Sexos. Take my glasses off here. Mir Sexos Tini La Noche. Once again, this is from the Golden Films era. Now, before he was in 82, now in 83. So, uh, this is, I think, his second year doing it, Golden Films. Uh, theatrical distributor, Francisco Gratocos Matamaza and Mediterranean Films. The timeline on this shooting date is the uh, beginning of the year of January 1983 is when he shot this. They got the uh, legal number for it on February 28th of 83. Then it played Seville, May of 83. Wow. Shot it in January 83, and then it played May of 83. Like four months later. That's a really fast turnaround. Man. Then played Barcelona, August of 83. August 15th. Then Cartagena, November 28th, 83. And finally Madrid, March 5th of 1984. Theatrical running time, Spain, 93 minutes. Blu-ray running time, the U.S. Mondo Macabro Blu-ray, which is the version I watched, 91 minutes, 41 seconds. They probably trimmed some of the uh, more hardcore sex, maybe, but it's or it could just be the conversion time. All right. <clears throat> Writer-director, Jess Franco, but of course. Director of photography, Jess Franco. Billed as Joan Almoral. And speaking of Joan Almoral, she makes an appearance in 2023 in the film Emmanuel in Sin City, directed by me. Uh, Joan Almoral was my director of photography as well, so uh, or a camera operator. I think director of photography. So, yeah. So it's good to see Joan Almoral working still after all these years. 
camera assistant Enrique Diaz, music Daniel White, and Jess Franco billed as Pablo Vela. Music recording, E Studios Technosonic. Um, and let's see. First camera operator, of course, uncredited. First camera oper- operator, Jess Franco. Production manager, Daniel Katz. Doing two roles here as the production manager and as the actor, Fabian. So he's almost like uh, Antonio Mayans in this situation where he acts and does the production managing. Editor Jess Franco, executive producers Stella Laraga and Emilio Laraga, of course, from Golden Films. So let me always tally up what Jess Franco does in this film. So in this film, Night of a Thousand Desires, Jess Franco is the writer, the director, the director of photography, uh, does music, and does first camera operator, and editor. So, yeah, that's typical. Everything, basically. <laughs> Cast, uh, of course, the great Lena Romay turns in a magnificent performance in this film. She plays the lead of Irina. Irina was also named that in Female Vampire, La Contessa Noir, and in, I think, Mansion of the Living Dead. It's pretty similar, so watching this, you'll get that idea because of the Female Vampire music used quite a bit in the ending as well. All right, so Lena Romay is Irina. Daniel Katz as Fabian. Carmen Carrion as Lorna. So, of course, we have the name Lorna again, as in Lorna the Exorcist, and he used Lorna in about four or five other films, I believe. Um, always a strong female villain, and uh, Carmen Carrion is really great in this. She's been in the last couple films before this, always really good, and she's great in this as well. It's like the princess character. Uh, Albin- Speaking of great, Albino Graziani, um, who's been becoming one of my favorite Franco actors. Uh, I just like him. He just looks really believable. Uh, he plays Ahmed, the first victim in this, and he's been in quite a few films before this. Uh, Mario Rivera, as Mario Rivera, plays the male victim at the dope party. Uh, Mario Carmenito returns as billed as Mamie Kaplan, and she's uh, her role is the dope party girl number one. And then Alicia Principe is here as dope party girl number two. Yo, man, you're a dope party girl. That's funny. Dope party girl. Dope party. Hmm. Let's go to the dope party. That's interesting. And then uh, Jose Lamas is the last victim. Also, I know it's Macho Jim. And, of course, Jess Franco plays Dr. Harmon, a psychiatrist. That's why I thought it was Dr. Carmen, but yeah, it's Harmon. Okay, with H. All right. Uh, I will give the synopsis. All right. Irina. Uh, I'll give most of the synopsis. It looks pretty thorough here. I won't go through everything. Irina, a pretty young nightclub entertainer, performs a blindfolded mind-reading and telemetry act with her lover, the great Fabian. During the show, Fabian is disquieted by the presence of a man in the audience who seems to know... whom he seems to know. The man hands him a message and a piece of paper for Irina to read. Using her psychic powers, it says, You have a few hours to live. Fabian dismisses the man as a joker, but later, at the couple's hotel room, he's scared and depressed. That night, Irina dreams that she's ravished by the man at the club and his two female friends until a voice uttering strange incantations scares them off and sends Irina into convulsions. Waking suddenly to find Fabian asleep, Irina leaves the hotel and enters a strange Moroccan-style beach house where a regal woman called Lorna silently greets her with a kiss. 
Also present, unbeknownst to Irina, is Fabian. And then blah, 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 blah. I won't go through all the sorted details. Uh, back in her own home, Fabian, she must return fully conscious at last to the strange house by the sea, which, of course, sounds like Necronomicon or Succubus, which there's quite a bit of uh, themes like that in this, I found watching it. All right, production notes. <clears throat> With Golden Films prepared to finance any notion that flitted through Franco's mind, as long as it could be shot for a fistful of pastas. Production in 1983 continued apace. The year saw another 11 films go into production, just one short of the 12 he shot in the previous year of 1982. Wow, so he did 11 films in 83 and 12 films in 82. That's, uh, wow. 23 films in two years. That's crazy. Most people do 23 films in their life, and they're amazed. He did in two years. Jeez, wow. That's crazy. Franco was aided in this mad rush to production by a stable and reliable repertory cast and crew. Antonio Mayans was now firmly established, not just in front of the camera, but as production manager, able to put the necessary components into place while Franco kept the ideas coming. A regular cast who lived in the south of Spain were available at the drop of a hat. Along with the ever-dependable Lena Romay were Carmen Carrion, Mabel Escano, Marie Carmenito, Jose Lamas, Antonio Riballo, and Daniel Katz. Those behind the camera also became regulars in front of it. Juan Solar acted in several of the Golden Films titles. Antonio Mayan's wife, Juana de la Morena, usually a makeup artist on the film, stepped before the lens a few times. And Angel Ordales, a camera assistant on numerous titles of the period, appeared almost as frequently in front of it. There were even a few rules, roles for Franco's old friend, Daniel White, who popped up several times, as well as providing his catalog of library music. Yeah, we saw him in, uh, uh, what was it, the, um, oh, shit, the, the jungle one, and then the last one, too, he was the cop in it. Um, uh, Kilimanjaro, yeah, yeah. All right, um... Let's see where we got here. Anyway, however, all was not as healthy as it should have been, due in part to Emilio Laraga's lack of experience in marketing. Few of the golden film titles made it onto video shelves, much less cinemas outside of Spain. Only two, Macumba Sexual and The Inconfessible Orgies of Emmanuel, received any kind of release abroad by 1985. Consequently, despite his fevered productivity, Franco's income was starting to decline. It didn't help that the films were made so very cheaply and with little thought given to market realities. To market realities. Times were getting tougher. The bottom was falling out of the independent horror film market. Videotaped porn was robbing cinemas of the dirty Mac brigade, and the legalization of hardcore pornography in Spain rendered Franco's preferred hard softcore Excursions, old hat, and cinema, cinema goers demanded something more explicit. Very early in 1983, or possibly late 82, Jess Franco shot two S certificate films back to back Mil Sexos Tini La Noche and Historia Sexual de O. That's these two Night of a Thousand Desires and the Sexual Story of O. They were registered officially along with their immediate predecessor, Lillian, the Virgin Perverted and the three films were issued with consecutive deposit numbers. All right, review by Stephen Thrower. 
Revisiting one of Franco's favorite story ideas, a woman compelled to kill why under malicious psychic control. Uh, Mil Sexos Tine La Noche, a.k.a. Night Has a Thousand Desires, stands tall alongside forebears such as the diabolical Dr. Z, Nightmares Come at Night, and Shining Sex. Yeah, I forgot about Nightmares Come at Night. I was thinking of Orloff and Dr. Z and Shining Sex, but yeah. And also, uh, she killed next to a little bit. Uh, it's a brand of minimalist dreaminess is closest in tone to the latter, also to Vampiros Lesbos, kind of the tone. And although it lacks the film's total commitment to the delirious, it's still pretty far out. With a small cast and very little narrative, Franco summons his characteristic aura of time suspended and reality slipped out of joint. Paranoia, isolation, emptiness, these are all feelings conveyed by Franco, using little more than artful shot compositions, lucid sharp edge photography, and carefully chosen locations. At this point in his career, Franco requires no artsy lenses, rapid editing, or swirling opticals to warp our minds. Everything here is the result of measured pacing, an obsessive meditation on faces and bodies, and a commitment to the relationship between music and image which takes him far away from the mundane realm of language and narrative. He allows the elements of this meager plot to diminish in their details, leaving the audience to sink or swim. While the technique on display is undeniable, it's also dependent on the viewer's ability to put aside their thirst for information to suspend dramatic expectations as readily as one would suspend disbelief. Scenes play out slowly, the editing weighs each movement, and the image frequently consists of nothing more overly psychedelic than the faces or bodies of the cast. Two-thirds of the running time has no dialogue at all. Wow, that's interesting. Two-thirds of the film has no dialogue at all. Wow. Think about that for a second. All right. Yet out of such narrow range of cinematic tools, Franco fashions something weird and amazing. The story could be told in a quarter of the time, but then the same could be said of a melody. Yeah, that's true. That's one thing we thought about. The pacing of it was very long. It could be cut down, but that totally makes sense. You could always play a tune faster, but while harmonic relationships would remain the same, you'd lose the mood. And it is mood more than anything else that Franco cares about. It's very true. One scene in particular, running just under 15 minutes, resonates with all that is pre-natural, is preternatural in Franco's cinema. The setting is a swinger sex party, which the heroine Irina attends, with the unconscious intention of murdering the other three guests. The joint is passed around, time elasticates, and then those two worlds, two words lie, all that is avant-garde and delightful in his cinema. Slowly, Irina enters into a sexual foursome with the others, her expression completely detached. Franco's languorous camera follows her, adopting a hallucinatory perspective by ascending to the ceiling to gaze at the atelierated action below. Throughout the scene, there's an incredible cacophony of bizarre twangs, thuds, and the wails on the soundtrack, like John Cage embroiled in a fight to the death with the contents of a kitchen cupboard. That's funny. Uh, with the scrabbling atonal soundscape has achieved maximum listener unfriendliness, the film lurches forward into the mad and absurd with the introduction of a metallic audio filter that warps the moans and sighs of Lena Romay, whose position at this juncture, head between the legs of a fellow actress, gives the bizarre impression that she's creating these extraordinary sounds by blowing across the other woman's labia like a flute. Hey now. Uh, Franco persists with the situation for several minutes, and one is left to marvel as he surrenders any sense of sexual intimacy to the 
dictates of a plunges into madness, quite the average cinema punter looking for sexy frolics on a Saturday afternoon would have made it of anyone's guess. Other scenes exude a casually onric quality that feels imported from the edge of drug delirium. Irina enjoys a romantic tryst with a young man, played by Jose Lamas, in what looks to be a miniature park located in the middle of a traffic roundabout. After a silent communion at an outdoor cafe surrounded by a sea of empty chromium chairs, the two return to a hotel room for sex, and there follows another of Franco's mesmeric exercises in sexual disorientation. What's striking and unsettling is that the camera relentlessly disengages the two lovers, even as they press against each other. Irina paws at the young man while he leans against the window, palms pressed against the glass. That's a cool scene, actually. As the scene continues, one finds it hard to distinguish quite where the couple are physically in relation to each other. At times, it seems as if they're on opposite sides of the glass, with Romay's hands impossibly entering the room from outside, below the camera frame, to fondle Lama's buttocks. As an expression of alienation in the very heart of intimacy, it's both disturbing and astonishing. Time and again in his films, Franco brings a con- concentrated attention to bear upon scenes that other filmmakers in the sexploitation horror genres would either gloss over or define with easy-to-read visuals. It's in the lingering zoned-out misima of Franco's intensely voyeuristic camera work that we encounter the essence of his cinema. The alchemy takes place in an abstract zone, almost always without dialogue, in which Franco's esoteric sensibilities meshes with his all-consuming camera gaze, conjuring up confluences between humid visions of the flesh and a world of mad hallucination. Wow, that's really cool. That's sums up way I feel about films too very cool in my style how I do alright Franco on screen Franco appears in a small role as Dr. Harmon the psychiatrist music uh, five pieces of music used in Night of the Thousand Desires can be found on the Daniel J. White Library LP Mood Music Selection number one cocktail the best of these in spare Introspective number one was previously rather wasted on a couple of scenes in the run of the mill Women Behind Bars, 1975, but here it sits perfectly with Franco's haunting visuals. Um, let's see. Uh, one song sounds like, uh, interrogation number one sounds like an outtake from Shining Sex Sessions. Uh, Apocalypso No accompanies the drug part sequence, drug party sequence. Uh, Magic Violins is the strings-only version of Arena's theme from Contessa Noir. Okay, that's the one it was. And it turns up several times in the film, too. While Ditsy Blues can be heard at a club while Bino Graziano's character plays works as a pianist. In addition to these tracks, we hear Basse Profundo from White's Mystery Blue album during Irina's Rendezvous with Jose Lamas. And in the middle of the drug orgy, we trip once more to the blurry bongos of Devil Hunter, 1980. Yeah, I was thinking of that too. Uh, Mario Ribera, Mario Ribera even taps his thigh in time with the jungle beat, suggesting that Night of a Thousand Desires is set in a tantalizing parallel universe where one can actually buy the Devil Hunter soundtrack LP. Nice. All right, locations. The mysterious seaside villa featured in this film is the 
Castillo de Bilbil, an Arabic-style building in Benalamadina, Benalamadina, 12 kilometers west of Malaga, Spain. Built in the 30s and designed by the architect Enrico Atencia, it's located by the sea on the Avenida Antonio Machado and is currently in use as a culture center. That's cool. As Irina sets off on the listless walk that will lead her to victim number three, Jose Lamas, Macho Jim, we're back once again at the Hotel Santa Catalina in Los Palmas, Gran Canaria. Also featured in Les Ebrenales and Opala de Fuego, two great films. Lamas and Rome rendezvous in a nearby park, the centerpiece of which is a curious sculpture, the Atis Terma Monument by Manuel Bethancourt Santana, unveiled in 1981 as a tribute to the earlier descendants of Gran Canaria, the gotchas who leaped to their deaths from the mountains rather than surrender to the Castilian rule. All right, wrapping up here. Connections, the title parodies John Farrow's The Night Has a Thousand Eyes, 1948, starring Edward G. Robinson as a clairvoyant who can see the future, and also perhaps refers to Juan Picard Simon's 1982 slasher Pieces, which in Spain was called Milgritos Tini La Noche, A Thousand Cries Has the Night. Hmm, I wonder whether Franco was teasing Picard for borrowing ideas from his horror hit Bloody Moon, as well as cribbing the title of his classic Cries in the Night. Oh, that's interesting. Irina is reading The Ivory Grin by Ross MacDonald, one of the writer's series of hard-boiled Lou Archer thrillers. Since the detective plot of The Ivory Grin bears no relation to the story being told by Franco, we must assume it's the cover that appeals to his roving eye. It features a woman lipsticked mouth with a medical scalpel gripped between her teeth, the blade dripping blood. Intercut with shots of Irina's mouth and tight close-ups and accompanied by music from La Contessa Noir, the sum total could be said, rather like certain plot developments in Mansion of the Living Dead, to harken back to Irina's previous life as a vampire in that central Franco text of the early 1970s, with the blood-dripping scalpel blade and juxtaposed woman's teeth suggesting displaced vampire imagery. Perhaps Irina is on some implicable karmic journey. The once powerful killer countess, now reincarnated, reincarnated as the helpless stooge of a malign mesmerist. So, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought because yeah, there's there's some touches definitely to female vampire. All right, uh, let's see what other notes we have here before we go to uh, the next deal here after the thing. Um, all right, so. Uh, we have a donation button on the front page. If you care to, we got like two people that donate, and I appreciate it. Uh, if you care to donate one time or reoccurring, feel free. It's right there. Uh, if you like the show, please subscribe. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and all your favorite radio, I'm sorry, favorite listening platforms. Uh, you can download all the episodes, of course. Have them there, so feel free. Uh, if you like the show, if you dig Jess Franco, if you dig me, if you dig the films I'm doing or any of that stuff, please tell a friend about Lady Hyde, about Emmanuel in Sin City, about uh, She Knows Feratu, or any of the Desperate Visions universes, um, which, of course, I always introduce, and, but for this one I didn't for Christmas time. So, yeah. So, yeah, tell us about it. If you want to tell us about it and get a hold of us, you can. we got an email address, FracoObserver 
at yahoo.com and get a few people writing us and I do appreciate that. Cool questions, cool observations. And, uh, yeah, I'm always quick to follow back up with a reply. So thanks again. You can always reach us at francoobserver at yahoo.com. If you want to send any correspondence, Christmas cards, any of that fun stuff, uh, no viruses, please. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. We have pages there for the Franco Observer podcast. And, uh, yeah, you can check us out there and see us and see all the new pictures, updates, stuff about the film, stuff about my upcoming films, and uh, all that other cool stuff. So, yeah, we must always praise and be in memory of Jess Franco, bringing the name and films of Jess Franco to new eyes and ears. And uh, my friend Ragnar always says that I am definitely doing my mission every day by passing the word of Franco on to everyone. So, all right. Well, like I said, this drops on December 25th, which is a Christmas day here. So if you celebrate that, Merry Christmas. Um, if you have other religious backgrounds and everything, Happy Hanukkah. Uh, Merry Festivus, uh, all those other things you celebrate, or if you're just, uh, you know, don't believe in anything, then just hope you all have a great, happy holiday, great day, stay warm, stay safe, and uh, hope you're staying good through this year of madness. I know it's been a tough year for a lot of people. It's been a tough year for me. Um, let's talk about this earlier with a friend that, uh, yeah, it's for me, professionally, it's been a good year. Uh, but on the personal side and living side, it's, it's not, it's not been the best. It's, it's been tough. Last few years have been tough for all of us. So, but yeah, I don't know. Um, everybody's putting out good stuff. People are producing good works, good relationships. Just keep that humanity there. Let's try to keep it going. And, uh, we got a long roll ahead of us. So let's all live to be as old as we can be and let's keep the world with us. So, all right. Well, hang out past the bumper music that you all know by now after God, what, 120 episodes now plus. And, uh, you'll hear myself, Jason Rudy from desperate visions productions, a Sacramento, California based filmmaking group headed by yours. Truly there. I got that in, got my shit in and I'll be joined by a miss Collie from Los Angeles, California, home of the doors. And, uh, she'll be talking to me about one of films that she digs, Night Has a Thousand Desires, or as I like to call it, My Salad Has a Thousand Islands. Buenas noches, maha. All right, we are back with the review portion of episode 120, film 121. This film being Night Has a Thousand Desires, or as I like to call it, My Salad Has a Thousand Dressings. Oh, I'm sorry, my thought, eh, I ruined that joke. My salad <laughs> has a thousand islands. That's what I was supposed to say. But anyway. And speaking of somebody that's probably experienced a thousand desires, we have joining us today, Miss Colleen from LA. How are you doing, Colleen? I'm really good. Good, good, good. Well, um, you just finished watching this film today. Have you, um, had you seen it before? Yeah. Yeah, I have a couple times actually. So but this was, oh. it's been a minute though, since I watched it. So it was, it was just good to, to get, I, I love this. This is one of my favorite um, Frangos. Nice. So yeah. Yeah. This is my <laughs> first time watching it um, and, uh, and all that good stuff. So yeah, I, uh, 
without going into too much right now, I enjoyed it. Um, it wasn't like striking, but I did like it a lot. And it falls in a certain genre of Franco, you know, and that's a genre I think you're more into it than I am, you know, but uh, yeah, there's, mm-hmm. there's some good stuff too. And it reminded me of, of a lot of other films that I'm sure we'll talk about. So for sure. Um, all right. Well, one thing I was laughing at, it opens on a body of water and zooms. And I was thinking of you going, oh, this is like right off the fucking list, like right in the very beginning. I thought that was pretty yeah. cool. Um, yeah. So basically, in a nutshell, this story is about I, um, Lena Romay plays Irina, and she's a mind reader act with a mind reader named uh, Fabian or uh, a Fabian. And they're uh, uh, psychic mediums. And he basically, they find each other and she could put on a blindfold and see through his eyes of what he can see and project upon her. And they have an act that they do for people. And we're introduced to them in the beginning going through that. And then as the story progresses, you kind of see what lies behind him and her and other people on the spectrum and on the periphery of everything um it reminded me of a lot of other films like succubus and she killed in ecstasy and venus and furs and and of that where there's a woman and uh, the diabolical dr z where there's a a servant being controlled by mind control or something and killing the people unknowingly or or through it and then being a pawn in the in the situation um that's yeah, isn't she like called arena because that's like you know from female vampire she was arena and like other other ones she's arena where like she's kind of this she's just living dead forced to yeah Yeah. she's like forced to be in this like kind of gaslit like killing situation and (laughs) like she's just sort of like mind controlled or whatever like she's she's possessed and she can't help herself she has to murder I don't know. I, I mean, I think it's a, I think that's, that's the character of Irina. Yeah. What I, Which is funny. They brought that up because yeah, they, they, they mentioned in the book about the female vampire and I recognize the music. They play a lot in this film from female vampire, the kind of, you know, that, that theme, they play that a lot, especially in the last couple sequences. And it's funny that her name is Irina where she's kind of the same and this, and kind of the same, way this is laid out as a film is similar to female vampire where there's episodes with her and it's very slow. And a lot of one thing about this film, I, I, which I wrote my notes is there's a lot of atmosphere and there's a lot of detail of the atmosphere. And that, yeah, that's, that's like what the whole thing is. It's a mood. Yeah. It's all just like a mood, you know, I mean, it, you just kind of like drift from dream to dream and kill to kill. It's yeah. Pretty- like so, yeah, we waft through it, and there's the different vibes and the different. The music does. I mean, there there's that one section where the music is like the super psychedelic, nurse with wound, like strange, crazy. You know, I I love that. That's one of my favorite scenes. But yeah, it's yeah. They use a lot of different cues. They use a like a like a jungle track from a Devil Hunter. The kind of kind of that drum <laughs> jungle one. stuff is great. Yeah, yeah he they do the jungle. I knew you'd love that. Totally. And then a few other little soundtrack cues from other films that he's done before. But yeah, uh, like a kind of a Shining Sex outtake was one. And then one off of uh, 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 Night House of Thousand Desires was this one, but uh, A Bunch of Living Dead and a few of the other cues that kind of pushed it into that direction. So yeah, most definitely. Um, I like that um, during the part when they're doing the mind reading, he has a card and they talked about the... uh, 
Sari Club, S-A-R-A-I, uh, out of, uh, I forgot what it is, but, uh, the business card, they read about the Sari Club and, in um, um, a couple of films back, Lena talks about, uh, being at the, uh, party salon of the Congo. And on this, they kind of talk about the Asari club. So, uh, Franco's kind of doing this like cool jungle club that he makes up kind of like the Flamingo club, but he has this type of club now. And he mentions in other films of this like kind of cool Congo, like strip club or something, which I always find fascinating. So, yeah. <laughs> The magical strip club in the in the for the tropical forest. Yeah, it's like where the hell is this place? Some place on top of the hill somewhere. Yeah, uh, to go to there. The first nudity is like nine minutes in, and it's funny because it's the woman sitting there watching the act, and she has like her shirt. It keeps like opening a little bit, and then you see her boob, like one boob come out, and she kind of like fixes her shirt the whole time. I was laughing. The people nip slip. Like, yeah, nip slips. It's like tell her oh, it's the first nudity, just one boob. And then later on, Lena, you see her of her first nudity after that scene when him and her go back to the room. She's wearing that white outfit and she just has one boob sticking out as well. It's funny. Yeah. She, and I was like, what's up with the one boob showing thing? It's like back-to-back scenes. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Just a little teaser. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then uh I like the first dream sequence she has where she's kind of laying there and she uh, has the uh, the two naked women and the man that she goes on later on to meet and kill and everything. You're there, the threesome. Yeah. All, you know, all of her, her, look at her titties, look at her mouth, look at her pussy. Yeah, she's just laying all back on the floor. All over. And all three of them were kind of on her. Loving it. Yeah, it's good stuff. And what's weird is Franco puts in some crow sound effects over the scene. He has like this crow calling. And then also there's like cool moans and voice uh, voiceovers of screams and stuff that you hear kind of in the mind during those sequences as well, which is really cool. That's like his, not jungle sound effects, but that's the sound effects, you know, for that. Um, and I like that one of the women, so we have Irina again, and another woman in the film is a Lorna, the lady I think that plays the princess, which is funny because they use Lorna and Lorna the Exorcist. And the right, right. Is Lorna. So he's reusing a lot of the certain characters' names. Even be a more powerful character, though, and and that woman is kind of powerful. So yeah, yeah, she's like a princess, I guess, of some kind, you know, by based by her outfit. And she doesn't; she has just a little bit of dialogue, but she's in the last few films, uh, quite a bit. That lady, that I love her. all their like gypsy costume outfit things, like all the it's so gorgeous, all of the fringe, you know, and the just the, the red velvet dress and all the it's so all of the stuff that she's got going on her forehead. Oh um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the kind Alona of has thing, like hat all thing. different kinds of like it's like Indian looking and then it's, you know, like I don't know. She's got like chains up there. She's got like all kinds of little ornaments like on her forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Every time she's like never coming out not decorated. <laughs> Yeah, she's very strong with her presence. She just stands there and always looks, and you see the close-ups of her eyes and everything. And, her yeah. judgmental eyes. Totally. <laughs> um, there's a scene I liked with music that I had written down where Albar- Alberto Graziani, he's like the old man that plays the piano in the jazz bar, and, and he says, oh, I'm not going to come back tomorrow. And they're like, well, you got to stay here and finish out your contract. And he goes up to his room, and, and he uh, lays down and tries to go to sleep and stuff. But uh, he... Uh, he has this vision of a, a of a well for first word he turns on a little radio which i thought was cool because then franco puts the music over the soundtrack instead of just having music in the background he actually had a source for where the music was coming from so he turns on the radio and he starts undressing doing his boxers and he's laying there kind of 
chilling and he keeps thinking he sees Lena out the window and stuff. And then he w- has his falls asleep has a dream where she's laying next to him. And then uh, you see her. It's cool how he filmed it. It's like she's giving him head, but you only see her eyes kind of going up and down. And just, <laughs> I thought that was filmed really cool because it was. You knew her buggy eyes are so happening in this movie. It's yeah. like constant buggy eyes. She's she's just so lost and dazed and confused and like under her her you know mind control spells and she's just so wonked and zonked out. Yeah. Yeah, the the different scenes where she's like hooking up but always like kind of looking away like she's what am I doing here? What's happening? Ah, I just have to have sex. Yeah, that's Leah. Yeah, and then and, and then uh and then after and that, she, she puts on the gold sparkle top, which she's worn that in a few films, that that cool gold sparkle little thing she ties around, hangs out. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh then see I liked is when she went back with those those three subs again and and she gets stoned with them and she's like passing a joint and that's like the kind of the cover picture is her kind of laying there looking at the camera when she's blowing smoke out of her nose and she's yeah that shot where her eyes are going up that's like a classic like lena romay pose i mean that's the it's the cover but like you see that like i don't know just in yeah. peripheral stuff everywhere the lena romay you know sites on online are always like clipping that one that's like it's so iconic i love it, it is. yeah the placement of her arms and just her head and how it's shot is really really cool so it's interesting to watch yeah. It really like honors her amazing eyes because her eyes are, you know, the droopy eyes that she has are so like, um, yeah, they're, they're, uh, I love her. Um, There's a lot happening with her lips in this one too. Like they, you know, when they paint them and take like forever, there's lots of like focuses on her lips. Like did that pout, that just incredible pout that she has where it's just like a, you know, just a perfect like pyramid angle thing. It's, it's so great. She just always looks like, I'm just a little Lena Pouty with my big eyes and my big pout and I don't know what's going on and I think I'm being mind controlled and I have to fuck and I have to kill and there's nothing I can do and it's just, it's just so damn cute just like a little puppy dog but yeah that scene the music in that scene is so out there like it's so weird you know and, and, that, and that one chick has the crazy rainbow headband thing and yeah when she turns her head the light reflects it it almost looks like it's like uh, electrical like she's a robot she's turning yeah. and it looked really cool it's like oh that's a cool little visual thing and the other lady's laying there on the bed by herself and the guy is with the one woman the lean is with the one lady they're passing the joint around and she's going down on her and you see everything unfolding and starts playing out and it's almost like an x-rated scene it's just this happening that happening or and it's very natural you know uh, sure. until you see lena's eyes get all buggy and she takes that knife again you know and, and goes to town yeah uh, uh and it's funny too so then after that we learn of basically the princess and the guy lena trusts are basically using her as as their pawn and we kind of hear about them talk about it more and then they uh decide that well since she's a killer she has to be declared dangerous and this and that so they send her to the psychologist which is uh, uncle jess uncle dr jess yeah he plays dr carl that. that's one of my favorite things about this movie is dr jess the ultimate mastermind yeah and it's cool too with him and lena you know he's like she's laying there and talking to him and he's like oh da, 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 da. what about this and she tells him you know yeah, and she he, he's he's the absolute most nonchalant character to ever exist as far as like she tells him repeatedly i believe i've killed four four men he's like "Uh uh-huh 
So he just like changes the subject, brushes right past it, like doesn't ever go like, oh, wow, you're a murderer. Like, gosh, maybe we should do so. Like, maybe that's like, you know, we should yeah, give me some descriptions of who you murdered or who are they or yeah. Report you to the police, you know, like that's not doctor patient confidentiality. (laughs) He he legally has to tell someone, but he's just like, yeah. Yeah. And and like I mentioned, like I said earlier, this film has lots of atmosphere, lots of details of environment and a lot of time-lapse jumps. So if you know, if you pick up on that, then it's easy to watch. But if you come into this, not knowing the style of, of of this side of just Franco, it's easy to get lost or going, what the fuck's going on? You know, because, but if you follow it, it's really easy to follow, but it's very, takes its time and it just kind of yeah. like talk about just well, when she hooks up with the one guy toward the end um the the last dude uh Macho Jim. yeah <laughs> yeah isn't that like the guy that she got married in that campy honeymoon one like... oh that's macho jim oh okay you know the yeah. one we talked about you know from uh, no no not macho Obama. jim there's like a different one i don't know uh, that's uh jose lamas he's okay. macho jim Okay. Oh, that 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 was Macho Jim. Yeah, that's Macho like, Jim. Okay. Oh, okay. 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 Yeah. I'm like, I know, I know him, yeah. but yeah. Um, that whole thing. It's like when they meet and just stand there staring at each other forever, and then like they're sitting on the bench and talking, and then like they just disappear off the bench. It reminded me of like Vincent Gallo, like yelling at Christina Ricci, like we're spanning time, we're spanning time. <laughs> it's just like like yeah. everything this was doing was like trying to convey like we're spanning time, and it was almost comical. It was comical. It's just like uh, yeah, it's uh, that it kind of cracked like a lot of these scenes. I felt the movie could be like a half hour shorter if Jess wasn't like okay, shoot it from like this angle and then zoom into their feet and then pull back out and now zoom into like where their faces are yeah. and then zoom back out. It was like a lot of like, there okay, a- we get the scene, Jess. Like we don't have to see it from every angle. You're getting a little like silly, but it's like, it's all supposed to be part of the mood and you kind of just go with it. But it's like, he's just kind of like dragging. He drags out a lot of scenes like yeah. where you're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I noticed that like there's a scene where there's these flowers in the middle and he and a woman walks in. You see he zooms in on the flowers and then zooms out and then zooms in on the woman and then zooms out again and zooms in on the next person that walks in. Like you could have just had a one shot and then an individual and an individual, but you're just like, you know. There's a lot of that. It seems like he was do- like just being hyper lazy on the editing because he was like, let's like get our 90 minutes, you know, because it's a 90 minute movie. Yeah. But there's like also like the part where like Lena walks out of the thing and the woman closes the door behind her. Oh, yeah, right. That scene Stairs. goes on for a hundred yeah, years. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually you're like walking, watching Lena, like walking down the, you know, the the pathway like through the glass and and then you're still he's still paying back to Lorna and it's just like okay we get it like she kicked her out but it's like a five minute scene uh one thing I forgot to mention I was laughing at I think they do it during the threesome scene where she kills those two and then with Lena with the last guy is there's a shot when they're doing that he does all the sound effects of the cries and the moans and all stuff he shows a helicopter flying over and four times I counted, he dubbed duck sound effects with the helicopter. It's like, quack, 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 quack. I was like, what the fuck would you just, I was just laughing. It's just totally dope <laughs> to show that helicopter and then with the duck sound over it. <laughs> I didn't catch that. Like, yeah, like four times you watch back like, oh, the helicopter. Yeah, it's duck sounds. He just dubs duck sounds over it. Like, what the fuck? I don't know. It's like something in her hand. I guess she's 
seeing or I don't know, but it's just it's very funny. It's like the hell, you know. Wonky. Yeah, yeah. To keep the surrealism going. Totally. Um I think sometimes maybe I don't clock it because I'm just like checked in, I'm locked into the surrealism. It's <laughs> funny. Going with it. Um yeah, and then they have the uh also too, he has um he puts these boat horn sounds too, like bo- boats honking the horn sounds over uh, Lena and uh, Macho Jim uh, during that scene. Yeah. Together, I was laughing. I was like, how does boat horns have to do with it? You know, so, um, but yeah, and we mentioned there was a female vampire music. <laughs> Some of that. Oh yeah. One thing I liked too, we were talking about that scene with her and Macho Jim. Um, yeah. That's not his name of the film, but I like calling him Macho Jim uh, is uh, a Lena's butt against the window when they were, kind of having sex against the window you see her ass getting pushed against the window i thought that was kind of cool yeah the window sex is always hot i love yeah. that when he, when he finally puts his like you kind of can tell like are they just standing and fucking and then you see his hands go up against the window and press flat and it's just like gray in the background though it's like they had like a cloudy foggy day behind them or something and it looks so surreal and so cool i love that that was that was hot and then Lena goes down on her knees and blows them, and her eyes get all wide in that scene. Yeah. You see that. And then Franco, like, which is almost a similar shot of, which this film reminded me a little bit of, uh, of, uh, of, um, Vampiros Lesbos, where it is, sees the same effect. In that film, you have blood dripping down the walls. And in this, when he's killed, he, like, spits out the blood on the glass and kind of, like, draws down to Franco films him, like, going all the way down as he's dying with the blood. And he wanted to show that blood on that glass. Then he films it later from where they were standing and they're gone with the blood and the water outside. And he, you tell he really wanted to, you know, get his use out of that effect. You know, he's like shooting on both yeah. glass and all over the place. So, yeah, yeah, he definitely is getting his use out of every effect in, <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> that looks cool. That was a good kill scene and the spitting of blood. It's really a cheap thing, but visually it looks look cool and oh, yeah, style to it. Yeah, and, it's a great like last kill. Yeah. Know? And then, um, we will tell spoilers. Um, I liked the end of this where you think the bad guys are going to get away with it. And then of course the cops show up with uncle Jess at the end to save the day. And to me, it was. But we won't tell spoilers. <laughs> we are going to tell spoilers on this one. Um, but uh, it reminded me of a similar end of love letters of a Portuguese nun where, you know, the bad guys are going to get away with it. And finally the fucking king on storm the castle at the end and like chase him away and it's like all right cool the good guys win in the end and this is one where jess definitely does that and of course he's the big hero you know because he understood the connection with the guy from his patient before and he treated him and and he knows that he's the killer so yeah yeah he's like fabian i treated you did you not think i would know and then it's like so he's the real maestro yeah. of course <laughs> um I usually don't grade films, but like I, I for me, I would say me this is like a B minus or a C plus like film for me in my rating of Franco, and I give it like three out of five stars, like as a, on, a, on a Franco scale. I yeah, know. I mean, like I, I wouldn't argue with that. I just really like this. Is just one of my favorites because it just has such like a, a I he's just so going for a vibe, and I love the I love the weird music scene a lot, and I just like like I love the fashion. I just it just is very like dreamy and it's it this movie has always come to me when i'm having like a i don't know it i used to call them like the night of a, the long knives which is a it's like a weird reference of history right. but it has nothing to do with why right. it's the world war 2 deal right 
Yeah, but like I, I liked that that language, the night of the long knives. And so like whatever, like, you know, your mind is just like racing, keeping you up with like, you know, like having whatever like arguments or whatever, or like it, but also like you're horny and you're torn and you're just thinking about like you know, like all your daydreams and you're just sort of in this like kind of, I don't know, I always call this the light of the night, of the long knives because you just can't sleep, but like all of your emotions are just like churning. And this movie kind of somehow gives me that vibe because, you know, she's like, she's like wanting to murder, but she's also wanting to get laid. And she's just like, has all these, she doesn't know why, like she feels possessed and she just, and I, I feel like I, I connect with like, like in my like, you know, like toughest nights or whatever, you know, and in my 50 years on this planet, I've, you know, had a few of those nights, the long knives. And I always feel like this is the night of the thousand desires is the exact perfect like analogy to that. And whenever I've, I've watched this movie, it always coincides with that. And I told you how last night I recovered my gmail after a decade of like pain and so i got to go through all of these emotions like looking at all this stuff and syncing that to seeing this movie was very a dream state like it was very like is this real and am i feeling all these things and so it i think this movie can hit you different ways and it's like if you're in that headspace then it'll really like connect and so but if if it's like you're in a different you know space then I can see where it's just kind of you know like it's the story and it's it's not that compelling of a story in that regard it's just mind control and it wraps up quickly but it's just that when you have that vibe and you can feel that the the night of the thousand desires it, it it's uh pretty magical nice that's a good way <laughs> vomiting all about uh nine thousand desires so that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's just my like oh yeah yeah movie. i just I, th- I think it's really funny that it hit me on on a night that it once again like because every time i watch this i feel like it, it it clicks with me in that way yeah um i liked lena a lot in this film of course like we always say lena's really great in this film she shows a lot of range she's still looking good in this film she's She's got her hair back. She's not wearing wigs. Uh, she's growing her hair out. She looks like classic Lena. Got the feathered hair. She wears that cool kind of a black see-through kind of a bodysuit thing at the end with that knife when she finds out all the stuff. Like you had said, she wears a lot of cool outfits we see from other films. Um, I like Alberto Graziani a lot in this film. The old guy, that jazz pianist, you know, and he's been in the last few films, like Mansion Living Dead. He was one of the cult guys. And he's in uh, like five or six films at this point and i i I just like him a lot in this film because he's just kind of the old weary kind of person and he always gives a good performance for me yeah the lena thing actually I, i i was thinking about that a lot when watching this um tonight just how interesting it is watching her age in yeah. real time slowly, like after watching, you know, because we've been doing this like chronologically for, you know, a couple of years here. And it's interesting watching, her, like, especially since I'm currently just obsessed with my face since I'm turning 50 and it's like, I can see things changing in my face. And I'm like, I keep staring, like, was that there yesterday? And, and I feel like I can see it in Lena, like no one else too. Like I can watch right. like the, where, where like she starts to lose the collagen or whatever in her um, chipmunk cheeks and they yeah, kind of start sagging her little chipmunk cheeks. I love that. Like, it's so cute the way she 
like is aging right there and like just I guess I don't have that like my my doesn't it, it doesn't sag right there it sags down here which is like kind of a drag I'm like I wish mine did that well <laughs> like and just like her eyes and like all the different but like it's you see it so clearly because you you know how she looks when when her face was taut and you know and young and and and, it, and like it's so interesting to kind of watch because you you we get to know her face so well because he's zooming on it and you know focusing on it without any makeup so often and you really can like see her like you know age as a woman and it's it's interesting like how some of it is charming and some of it is a bummer but it's like wow it's like a i don't know it's a neat little kind of uh record of like you know yeah. what happens it's just fun to follow her totally yeah that's what i'm saying it's cool to see her just talk about her hair and her face and her body and everything as she ages and goes through and all the films she's been through and the things she's seen and done. And this is like, you see her mature as you're talking about going through and all that. So yeah, it's always really cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to knock out this Franco list here and uh, go over the things we saw and talk about that a little bit. Uh, number one, body of water. Yeah. Right at the very beginning, we mentioned that. Uh, number two, sailboats, no sailboats, but we do see boats when Lena's in the car being driven and she's in the back seat and they're driving. You see a boat kind of hanging out in the back, big, big boats. Uh, number four, uh, palm trees. Yeah, plenty of those. Uh, number five, jungle sound effects. Well, we have crow sound effects. We have uh, ducks. We have moans, distortions, and a lot of other cool sound effects on this. Yeah. Jungle uh, jungle dams. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> number six, chained up person. No, nobody's physically chained up in this film or tied up or bound in any way physically. Mentally, yes. Well, but, just mentally. Yeah. yeah just mentally. Uh, seven dance scenes a one on your checklist. So definitely, uh, dance scenes on stage stripping. They don't have any dance scenes on stage stripping. They have a a stage show, I guess, where they're doing the beginning mind reading act. That's their performance, but it's not a, a stripping stage show or anything. But they do put on a show in front of people as an act. But you know, but she can still see you without your underwear. Exactly. <laughs> uh, number eight club scenes. Or dancing in a bar. Well, uh, there's a bar in the beginning. That's where they're doing the thing. And you see the bar. People hanging out at the bar watching. And So partial point on that. Uh, number nine, jazz music. Yeah, definitely a little bit. Uh, especially the Alberto Grimaldi, the jazz part where he's playing the piano. Oh, so does Pablo Villa. Yeah, Pablo Villa for that. Uh, number 10, excessive zooms. Yes, a lot of fucking zooms in this film. Um more words. I mean, a lot of them fit, but it's funny if you just start counting them, you know. Um, let's see, number 11. Out of there is the one nice uh, zoom of, of his, um, or just when he focuses on Lena's face and then drops down to her boobs and then her waist. And yeah. Then, <laughs> <"Ta-da>, <laughs> her pussy. And he just sits there like all zoomed in on it. It's all like hacked up. It's got like little red dots all over it from where she'd shaved or something. It's like not even looking... <laughs> like, it's looking a little rough but yeah it's like oh, bless her yes <laughs> like, for just loving that mess it's <laughs> funny um number 11 out of focus shots yeah there is some in here um not a lot but uh you know there's there's some not not, not too too crazy yeah um 11 uh or number 12 mirror shots there's one, and it's a very cool one. You had mentioned when she's putting on Lena's the lipstick. Cool star-looking mirror that she's sitting in. It's like a shaped like a star. Where yeah, the- and how he gets the stained glass in the in the mirror. Oh, the stained glass too. Yeah, that too. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you're totally right. 
Dang last nightmare when she's getting her hair brushed and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that cool little, yeah, that little mirror they have there. Specific. Yeah, I love that. That one was was really well shot. That was a gorgeous shot. Totally. Uh, Thirteen mind control theme. Uh, yeah, big time. <laughs> <laughs> the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, Eleven. Uh, out of focus shots. Or no, I'm sorry, we're past that. Uh, tw- uh, so thirteen mind control theme. Yeah. Uh, fourteen magic tongue scenes. Yeah. Um, I was laughing because there's one Lena does with the woman on the couch and she starts on her boobs and she just really slow, just sticks her tongue out of her mouth and just runs it all the way down, almost like a, almost at a snail's pace, which I was laughing because it's almost like she knows she's using her tongue all the time. So she's just really focused on Lena and her chameleon tongue. Yeah. I was just laughing. I was like, okay, let's just really show it off here. Cause the whole film wasn't that much, but that one scene is like, tongue out there's that and then there's also um when she goes down on um on the last uh what's his name matcha gym or whatever at the end um when she goes down on him she does one like tongue out just like oh like described there's like just one like swish of her big old tongue like going out at him and then (laughs) and then you know got then they just have buggy eyes but yeah that's funny. Yeah, there's a, I was gonna say that in case you didn't catch that because it's like a blink and you miss it thing. But yeah, yeah, no, I, I didn't catch that one. So that, that's that's. that's but all yeah, funny. we get we get a little Lena tongue because I didn't catch that. I think the one you were just talking about. But yeah, I, no, that one I was laughing because she just like sticks it out, just runs it all the way down without even bringing it back into her mouth. She just fucking lays it out. Um, <laughs> Fourteen red light scenes, nothing of those. Uh, Sixteen sheepskin rug or masturbation with a letter C item, nothing on that. 14, uh, mad scientist and servant. Yeah, I'd say the princess and the magician guy are probably like the mad scientist and servant of this, you know? Definitely. Uh, 18, fish tank shots. No. 19, talking parrot. No. But he has a duck sound effects, but that's it. Uh, 20, end credits. Yes or no? Yeah, it's his fin, the end, when it shows his eyeball. Uh, 21, handwritten signs or anything cheesy. No, nothing in that. 22, spiral staircase shot inside the place. No. 23, inept cops. No, the cops actually do their job in this film and actually arrest yeah. the guys in the end. It's like, wow, here's good cops. Because Uncle Jess is in charge, that's why. Uh, 14, I'm sorry, uh, 24, belly chains, no. 25, kinks. Um, I guess maybe just like threesomes and uh, uh, I don't know, nothing too crazy. You gotta love that like, we don't even consider threesomes a kink at this point. Um, it's like, it's like, it's normal. <laughs> Uh, 26 great headboards. Yeah, there's one. Alberto Grimaldi has uh, a cool wooden, like two half circles above his bed with this like necklace kind of hanging down. It's, it's really cool. It's like the only cool headboard in the film. Uh, number 27 fear or desire. I would say desire, the desire to kill the five people. The night of a thousand desires. I oh, duh, I didn't think about that. Right there. <laughs> the most obvious. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, there's desire, a thousand of them. Good call. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Uh, 28 acoustic guitar player nope 29 reading a book scene yeah there's actually quite a few there's uh they read books at the beginning the necronomicon at the beginning what the fuck was with oh, that? oh okay i'll have to look at that because i saw him reading i didn't see what it was that's funny but then i know they do that is what it is he's like yes i'm reading the necronomicon like that's normal <laughs> like oh yeah just chilling and that's how it opens because she has uh there's one of the Phoebe guy reads a book in bed and then uh Lena reads the book. I'm sorry, yeah, the Phoebe guy. And then Lena reads the book of like the the mouth with the blade that has to go with like the female vampire thing. She's sitting there reading that book. Um it's called uh let's see, it's called uh 
Yeah, this is 84, so I bet that Necronomicon thing was a little nod to Evil Dead. Probably. Uh, uh, Cries in the Night. Well, also, too, Franco had uh, Succubus, and that was the original title of Necronomicon. So, And this film is like Necronomicon Succubus, so there you go. Good call. I didn't catch yeah. it just now. Yeah, you said that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, uh, 30, is there a pee scene? No, there's no pee-pee in this film, so yeah. Nobody <laughs> no pee-pee. Popped off pee-pee or going pee or nothing like that, so... Just bumping peepees. Although I was laughing uh, as I was editing my next film coming out in January, Emmanuel in Sin City, there's a scene which I didn't realize I did where the lady talks about she has to go pee. And I was like, oh, shoot, I did it. All right. So, yeah. But I didn't see there was just her trying to get out of the situation. So she says she has to go pee to get so the guy. You're just so in sync. You can't even help yourself. Yeah. It's just, you know, so conscious. So. Alrighty, well, let's go ahead and wrap this up here. Um, so yeah, this is a film you've seen a few times. Uh, it's one of you, it's it's one you dig, like you said, it has a good connection to you and things in your life that go around it. So it's always has a, a special spot for you. It's that like you know, like crazy side of a woman kind of thing. I dig that. Like normalize women, women being a little bit crazy. We all we all stay up with our thoughts all night, but you know. Uh, you know with all of our desires it's yeah i, I dig lena yeah no this is a good one uh it's out through mondo macabro blu-ray so it's widely available and church streaming many places and on the web and all that stuff so it's not one that's hard to find so yeah check it out um there's a lot of cool extra special features on there too on the blu-ray disc and all that stuff so yeah check that out if you get a chance um oh yeah also too this episode is dropping on Christmas. So this is the Christmas episode, kind of buried Aww. that whole thing there. So uh, I guess, yeah, this is, this is a good Christmas. Oh, happy holidays. So yeah, so this is our little uh, Christmas gift to you, a extra episode for the month. Try to- I have my Uncle Jess on top of my Christmas tree. Yeah, and I have Uncle Jess on top of his pile of movies here. So he's guarding. Yeah. He's guarding you know, the him. Uncle Jess tree topper from Saturday. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's one I have too, yeah. Totally yeah, nice. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, we will be returning, uh, calling myself, uh, in a few days from now to talk about the sexual story of, O. so I love that one. Yeah. So that one's so uh, pretty. All right. Well, lots of hot, sexy times. That's it. And so hopefully you're having lots of hot, sexy times on this, uh, 25th day of December. So <laughs> hopefully somebody's coming down your chimney. So. <laughs> Bye. Adios. What is that?